This is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. If you've listened to the show before, or if this happens to be your first time, uh, there are certain themes that come up throughout this podcast. Uh, The interest that I have in player psychology, coaching psychology, comes up in almost every episode. The access that is needed to play the game of soccer here within the United States comes up often, uh, as well as mental health and how coaches and players deal with various mental health uh, challenges uh, throughout their playing experience. Our guest in this episode is Colin Baker, and Colin checks all the boxes when it comes to themes that typically emerge on this show. Colin is currently an assistant coach at Carroll College in Montana and shares a little bit about all three of those areas in this episode. I think you'll find Colin enjoyable to listen to, uh, as well as a person who has a infinite amount of love for the game of soccer. I hope you enjoy my conversation in episode 11 of On the Touchline with assistant men's soccer coach at Carroll College, Colin Baker. I know we've traded uh, a whole bunch of messages with one another, and uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to jump on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And uh, so, Colin, for folks to know a little bit about you, um, how you've gotten to where you are in, in your coaching journey, uh, share a little bit about your story and, uh, and where you're at currently. So um, I started coaching back in 2013 as a student assistant at Southwestern College in Kansas. It's where I played collegiately. Um, I didn't really know if I wanted to get into coaching or anything like that. Uh, I was pretty burnt out from the sport. But, um, you know, the people I talked to, um, I I have a select group of of former coaches I played for and all that kind of stuff. They told me just give it a try and see if you like it. Um, And from there I was hooked. Um, After that, I was there for two seasons. Um, the head coach there actually applied for a job in Great Falls, Montana at the University of Great Falls, which is now the University of Providence. Um, I didn't really know what was going to happen. You know, he told me he was doing it. Um, so I was kind of a little afraid um, that, you know, if he left, I don't know what would happen with the head coach coming in and all that kind of stuff. But um, as soon as he got the job, he called me and said, you know, you're coming with me. And I just pretty much said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down, you know, um, it was a great opportunity and I didn't want to miss it. Um, from there, um, I applied for a job at, at, uh, Lincoln Memorial university in Tennessee on the women's side, um, knew the coach there and all that, to be honest with you, I didn't really think I'd get it. Um, but I ended up getting it and, um, you know, moved there. Um, I wasn't there that long, unfortunately. Um, had some things that I had to take care of for myself and, and all that in terms of uh, mental health and, and all that. So um, moved back home to Tulsa. Um, from there, um, I became the technical director and a staff coach at my former club that I grew up in um, called Tulsa National Soccer Club. It's very small now, um, but it used to be one of the biggest clubs in Oklahoma. And it was actually funny because um, the head coach here at Carroll College um, ended up calling, um, 
people to see where I was at because I wasn't on um, UGF's website anymore and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the head coach there called him and said, hey, he's not in the college game anymore. Um, I think it, it would be worth your while to try to talk him into coming back and see if you have something at Carroll. So he called me. We talked for about three hours, to be honest, just about life and the opportunity coming back to Montana. Um, came for a visit during the residential camp here as well. Um, and, and I fell in love with the place and said, all right, this is where I need to be. And, and here I am here in Helena, Montana um, at Carroll College. Wow. Um, so uh, I, I would venture to say, uh, other than having flown over uh, Oklahoma, and I don't think I've ever been to Montana, uh, I, both of those probably are similar to you know where I'm at here in the Pittsburgh area, that not exactly soccer hotbeds, right? Mm-hmm. And what was it like for you um, growing up as a, as a youth player? How, how did you fall in love with soccer uh, at a young age that you know, inspired you to go on and, and play collegiately? Well, uh, my parents will tell you that I've been I've been pretty much kicking a ball around since I could walk. Uh, my parents were very big soccer people. My uncle got my dad onto this dole league team. Uh, I'm not quite sure when that was, but they started playing, and then um, I just started watching it nonstop. Uh, my dad coached me growing up um, and all that, and I just had a love for it. And you know, I just kind of wanted to stick with it. Tried other sports. Basketball was my second sport that I really loved, and. Um, but overall, um, I just chose soccer and, and I think the influence that my parents had over it, um, plus the coaches that I played for, um, at, at the club level, um, really were, they're very challenging. Um, and they, they allowed us to, to make mistakes and, and, uh, not get down on ourselves. Um, grew up in the generation where, um, you know, you may make a mistake and, and, you know, get a bollocking from your coach, but, uh, doesn't mean that you're going to stop playing. And, and I, and I, you know, just, just wanted to keep playing and all that. Um, but overall, you're right. I mean, Oklahoma, you know, soccer's it's a, it's, you know, it's decent sized thing there. Um, but obviously not the biggest thing. And it was always a challenge, um, for people, um, to, to really accept that, that you played soccer there and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm really curious what it was like, uh, having your dad as your coach. Um, and I say that as coaching my own son, and the challenges, um, although, you know, I would say probably within the last year, he and I have gotten to a really good place uh, in terms of a, a father-son relationship, but also a, a coach-player relationship in terms of, you know, how I treat him and how he responds to, um, you know, different verbal cues that I might give him or non-verbal cues or whatever. So I'm curious what that was like for you uh, growing up as a player. So he coached me from about um, U6 to U11, and then after that I had another guy. But from there, you know, within that little time frame, I mean, he was he was always tough on me, you know, always challenging me and, and wanting me to, to pretty much be the best I could be at all times. And, and at that age, you know, you kind of sit there and wonder, you know, why, why am I doing this? Why is my dad so tough on me and all that? Um, I think it helped as well that I had an older brother that played um, – and I got to talk to him a few, you know, times, even when I was seven or eight to just kind of ask like, you know, um, why is dad asked me to do this? Why is he, you know, telling me this, you know, and all that. And, and that helped a lot as well. Um, my dad actually told me that you'd get better as a player if you, if you practice with your brother's team and, and his coaches were all fine with it as well. So I was training with kids that were three to four years older than me. Um, and my dad would go and watch and, you know, he'd be just as hard on me 
um, like he like he was um, within our team. So, um, you know, it was definitely you know it helped our relationship a little bit to really um, not want to let him down really at any point, um, even at that young of an age. And and then it was funny. Um, even after I moved on to different coaches and all that, um, he was still my biggest critic, you know, and, and, and that's fine because I do think that that relationship is, is open-ended for that. And as you get older, as a, into the teenage years, you may think, you know, it all, but at some point you got to sit back and say, you know what, my dad's seeing in this, um, he's coached me before he's been around the game for quite some time and, and I should probably listen to him. And, and, and that's something that, you know, to be honest, has really helped me, um, in terms of my relationship building, uh, with my players now. Can totally relate to that. Uh, you know, it's funny. I <laughs> I say to myself all the time. I'm like, man, I would love to go back and, and have a conversation with 18 year old Jason or you know, 20 year old Jason and go, man, what were you doing? You know, like mm-hmm. listen to the people around you and uh, you know stop being so stubborn and, and bullheaded uh, because you know, and I think that's part of our sort of maturation uh, as young men, right? To go mm-hmm. from sort of this know it all to you know, maturity or, or whatever. So that, that's interesting to hear, um, mm. you know, what that experience was like for, for you. Mm. Um, so I, I'm curious as to if, if you were to describe your coaching philosophy uh, to a stranger or, you know, a coach that you just met, um, what, what would you say? Um, my philosophy is all about making mistakes. Um, and I don't mean that in terms of like my teams are just going to make mistakes and we lose games, but uh, I feel like, you know, if you if you connect soccer and life together, um, you know, they're, they, they're mistake trodden. I mean, there's mistakes everywhere within the journey and especially within the game of soccer with over, you know, depending on age group, anywhere between, you know, 70 to 90 minutes. Um, and whatever you do after that mistake uh, defines you, to be honest. I mean, if you make a bad uh, pass, you don't put your head down and, and have a pity party. You know, you, you should be thinking about the next thing, the next thing. What can I do to help my team? Can I win the ball back immediately? Um, and so on and so forth. So um, that's something that I try to to really, um, I guess, kind of teach the kids that I coach, either at the club level or even at the college level, that, you know, one mistake isn't going to define who you are as a person, first and foremost. And, and that ends up really helping uh, with their mentality um, on the field. And, and they know even if they make a mistake that everything's going to be all right, I can move on to the next thing and, and be confident that I can write that mistake. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's my philosophy kind of, um, you know, uh, in a, in a small nutshell there. I, I might be guessing here. So you can, you can tell me to go fly a kite if I'm off base, uh, <laughs> but um would you say that was informed from life experiences or your own playing experiences or, uh, you know, sort of this uh, permission to fail, uh, you know, kind of mindset, which I absolutely love, by the way, because, you know, in, in the youth game, I encounter a lot of the opposite where, you know, coaches or parents are almost too afraid to let their child fail. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I have a very similar mindset to you, Colin, that, um, you know, we're, we're going to fail. We're going to fail often. And, uh, you know what, we're going to try our best while we're doing it, but we're going to learn a whole lot from failure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious for you how that sort of philosophy was shaped, um, if it was from life experiences or playing experiences or and any of the above. Uh, it's definitely from both, uh, especially, um, I guess, it's more 50-50 um, between life and the game playing it. 
Um, you know, I, I grew up in a very um, strong work ethic environment with my with my family, and the way my parents always raised us was: you give everything that you have, everything you're involved in, and if you fall, you stand back up and you try to to right uh, the mistake that made you fall. I mean, it's it shouldn't define you and and all that. So, you know, that's something that um, really stuck with me. Um, just just to know, as long as I'm giving everything I can, but also being sensible and thinking about things to get them done. Um, I can definitely um, write the mistakes and not really have any more moving forward. Um, and with that, I mean, one of the one of the biggest life philosophies that I've learned over um, the last probably seven years is um, having the courage to want to make mistakes. And and I think um, a true definition of courage is is embracing something that you don't know the outcome uh, of what's going to happen. And that that was the biggest thing for me. Uh, moving forward to pretty much pack up and move clear across the country twice uh, or three times if you want to, you know, count from from going from Kansas, you know, to Montana, to Tennessee, and then to home and then back to Montana. I mean, you're, you're embracing something that you don't know the full outcome in and that could have mistakes in it and all that. So um, that, that was me for life. But growing up playing um, – especially when I got into the older, you know, uh, stages uh, in high school. Um, I, I played for a coach that told us all the time, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay. You, you have to have courage to want to play. If you want to, you know, if you play a 40-yard ball that you think is going to help our team, you do it. Don't don't think twice. If we lose it, we'll do the best we can as a team to transition and win it back. So, um, you know, he was very tough on us. You know, he said things around parents that, that he probably shouldn't have, but my parents were all supportive of it because it helps shape me as a person and as a player to, you know, always keep my head up and know that, that the, it's a long game and that you just have to keep moving on to the next thing. And, and that's something that, again, um, both of these intertwine between both life and soccer experiences for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, you, man, you nailed it. And uh, I said this before on other episodes of the show, but uh, for folks go back and listen to that little segment there because uh, man, to, to have the courage to fail, um, that's a, I think a really powerful self-awareness tool that a lot of folks maybe don't have. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, uh, definitely go back and listen to that little snippet there. That was, uh, that was pretty fantastic. So if I'm, uh, thinking about coming and playing for you, what type of player do you typically look for? And sort of what is that, you know, I hate to call it a pitch, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what, what are you selling to them as a player? But, um, what is it like when you're trying to recruit somebody to come play for you? Uh, I mean, one of the first things we look at, obviously, is their, is their background. Um, you know, do they have um, strong commitment and, and values um, from their foundation within, you know, their family and all that? Obviously, that's not the, the end-all tell-all of, of what we do in recruiting, but, you know, we need to make sure that, um, you know, they do have a support system that's other than us. I mean, I've dealt with kids that – you know, as soon as they, they come and, and play for you, that, that, you know, you definitely are their father figure, but but at sometimes it becomes very draining. So that's something we look for as well. But the biggest thing for us is, is selflessness. I mean, you need to have somebody that's, that's here to serve others, um, you know, and, and somebody that has that mentality of, of saying, all right, uh, this isn't just about me. I'm joining a team. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in the right environment to grow as a person. 
Um, so, you know, we definitely look at, you know, the community service parts of things, um, references from their coaches and, and even their, you know, their pastors or, or anybody like that. But, you know, it, it's funny because, um, you know, I, I have a motto that, that I use now and it's called be the difference. And, and, and basically what it means is, is what, what are you going to do to be the difference um, to everybody around you to make sure they reach their fullest potential. And, and that's something I started asking everybody over the last two years I'm recruiting them. And I, I simply ask, um, what difference are you going to bring to the team? And they get kind of confused by exactly what I'm looking for. I, I understand, um, you know, you're good enough to come play for us or else we wouldn't be talking to you. Right. I mean, you know, they're like, Oh, well I add speed. I add this and, you know, I'm good 1v1, I can tackle, I, I'm good in the air, so on and so forth. But I already knew that, you know, it's something I already talked to them about. So that's one of the biggest things that I think that they already learned from me when recruiting is, you know, what are you going to bring to the table that's different than others to where we can all challenge each other and, and move forward together? Yeah, I mean, you know, we can, uh, we can train skill we can train ability uh, and, you know, in your case, you probably have a good book on uh, a player in terms of, uh, of what they're capable of, but, you know, how are they, you know, contributing to the culture of the team? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if, uh, you know, you've had folks that maybe on the surface sort of check all the boxes, right. You know, good player. They seem like they'd be a great fit for the program, but maybe when they show up and, you know, things get going, they don't quite fit in the way, you know, that everyone envisioned. And, you know, how have you handled that in the past? Or, um, you know, have you encountered a situation like that? Well, I've encountered quite a few of those, to be honest. Um, I'm not afraid to tear out any dirty laundry over that. But um, it, it's difficult at times because it happened um, when I was younger, uh, my first two or three years of coaching, and didn't really know how to handle it. it was kind of hard-headed pretty and you know what, if you don't like, you know, what we're doing, get out. Um, and, and my thing is, you know, you can say that, but only after a few times that you really try to, to talk to them and see what's going on. Because a lot of the times, you know, especially the kids that, that we deal with um, at the college level uh, from, you know, 18 to 22, they have a lot of stuff going on in their lives. And, and, I, and I feel like it's our, you know, it's our um, – you know, duty as their coach to, to really understand where they're coming from. And if they got things going on in their lives, um, that's really adding fuel to the fire as to why they're being, you know, a craphead that day or for the week or, you know, for the whole season. I mean, the, you know, the biggest thing for me is, is I started telling people, you know, how are you going to react when, you know, you hit a little piece of adversity? And I think as a student athlete, or a player in general, I mean, it's just in terms of, you know, yeah, I'm not playing right now, but that doesn't mean like two or three weeks from now I'm not going to be playing. So I think it's your job, you know, when you hit that adversity of not playing and you think the world's against you, is just to keep working hard um, and, and prove why we need to put you in the game. Um, and that's really resonating a lot of people because um, some of them have never been told that before. They've always been told, you know, this is my way or the highway from their coaches or, or you know, on the different spectrum, some of them have been really – um, were, you know, uh, treated differently. They were the superstars of their team, whether it be in club or high school. And, and you have to really try to break them, um, you know, to, to tell them, listen, man, you're not, you're not the big fish in the small pond anymore. This is a big pond in this program and, and you're, you're one of the smaller fish and, and so on and so forth. So um, that's something that's really helped me, I think, as a coach, 
um, sitting down with them off the field to kind of see, you know, what's going on. And um, is there anything I need to know about, you know, that's going on in your life you want to open up to me? And, and once I hear that, I do the best I can to, to push them even harder um, to try to, you know, tell them like, it's going to be all right. Um, so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, I, I, I it's so funny. I, I found in my coaching career that, um, you know, I, I found that I'm doing more listening than, mm-hmm. than I am talking yeah. these days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, yeah, I do a lot of talking on the podcast or whatever, but, um, in terms of a training session or a game and especially, you know, away from those situations and, uh, man, you, you can't put a value on listening to what's going on in a player's life. You know, mm-hmm. if, a if a parent is ill or a family member is ill or, you know, they're, they're having a really tough financial situation at home or I mean, whatever stress is, you know, in their life, um, I agree with you. It's definitely easy to say, you know, my way or the highway, but mm. I think sometimes context is so incredibly important. And um, it's really opened my eyes in terms of, uh, you know, the amount of crap some players have to deal with and mm. how they work through that adversity. And, uh, you know, like you said, maybe they're not in the first team today, but I love challenging players mm. because if they're not in the first team, what can they do to get to the first team? And, you know, like you said, man, keep working. And just because you got knocked down doesn't mean you can't get back up, you know, and it's similar to you. I have a lot of different mantras and, and mottos that I repeat in my head. And, you know, one of them is, uh, you know, get down, uh, get knocked down seven times, uh, get up eight. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think that's sort of like a, you know, a small metaphor for life. So mm-hmm. I, I love, 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 love what you said there. So good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, where do you see all this going, uh, as a coach? Um, you know, uh, would you love to be a head coach someday? Would you love to, I don't know, work at a, you know, uh, maybe a higher level uh, within the uh, college game? Um, you know, what, what kind of you, do you see in the cards uh, for you as a coach? Um, definitely being a head coach, I think is it's top of my list for sure. Um, I've been told by many um, by now that, that I'm ready because I've been coaching now for, you know, six years, you know, learned a lot of things from everybody I've worked with and, um, you know, I definitely want to take the reins of my own program, but at the same time, it's not like I'm really, you know, rushing it because I understand that this is a journey and certain doors open when they need to. Um, so for now, um, you know, just really doing my thing, being the assistant coach here at Carroll College and, and um, you know, keep networking and, and everything because you never know, again, you know, what door will open. Um, you know, I have actually gotten a few um, – people, you know, inquiring and stuff about moving on to, you know, bigger clubs um, and kind of getting away from the college game and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's something I've looked into, but, you know, it's not that either of us wouldn't change lives of, of our players, whether it's club or college, because to be honest, I, I admire club coaches more than I do college coaches um, because they're, you know, they pretty much mold these kids into the players that we want to bring on into our program. And, and that's something that, you know, again, has really resonated with me when, I, when I've talked to people is, you know, within the club years, you know, you may not deal with a lot of stuff off the field with them, but you can teach them still life lessons on the field. And, and that shows, I mean, I, I talk to our kids all the time here, you know, how was your coach growing up and all that? And they tell me things that, you know, that, that 
pissed them off one day and then the next day they were like you know what that coach is right I'm gonna do this and it's really helped them because I can see it in their game um, when we have a pretty much come to Jesus meeting after a training session and tell them this isn't you I don't know what's going on you know so on and so forth and you can definitely see the mentality of them bouncing back and, and a lot of it um, is credited to club coaches um, so that's something that for me again it's resonated with me that I've thought about but um, overall I definitely want to be a head coach that you know um, uh, within my own program, whether it's here at Carroll or, or somewhere, um, you know, only uh, the future knows, and, and we can't know that until that door opens. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's interesting working in the club game. Um, I mean, I think you nailed it. That there's such a, uh, you know, you can have such an impact on young people, um, mm-hmm. men and women, in terms of their soccer abilities and um, you know who they are as people. And that moment really kind of hit me this past fall when uh one of my parents uh texted me so we were supposed to have a a preseason friendly and they texted me and they said you know this person uh, one of my players was not going to be there for the friendly and he's one of our better players and I thought to myself "Hmm, okay that that's kind of interesting and come to find out later um he was having some behavior issues at home and uh you know talking back to mom and dad and not listening and and things of that nature. And the coaches actually, or the parents said to me uh, and my fellow coach, Hey, can you pull him aside and sort of remind him of the importance of, yes, it's about being a good soccer player. Yes. It's about being a good student, but it's also about being a good son. And it's also about being a good brother and, you know, those sort of things. And um, it was one of those moments where after a training session, uh, he and I just sat down uh, on the field and we just chatted and it was a very informal conversation. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if he fully understood sort of the impact of it in the moment, mm-hmm. but it was one of those ones that I wish coaches I had at a young age, you know, would have pulled me aside and said, you know, Hey Jay, like, you know, here's a good life lesson <laughs> and let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about it. And, uh, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I thank you for, uh, you know, what you said about club coaches because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not necessarily the easiest job or most glamorous job. And, you know, we're certainly not doing it for the money. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah. um, uh, something that I found interesting in how we got connected and you can go whatever direction you would like with it. Um, the the mental health uh, advocacy uh, is obviously something that I'm very passionate about, but I know that's something that, uh, you know, is something you're, you're pretty passionate about as well. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, like you said, you can take that in, in whatever direction you would like. Hmm. So uh, for me, it's something that I'd never really thought about until like the last two or three years um, with all the moving and stuff that I've done away from family and friends. Um, there's times that I, I felt alone, even though I wasn't. And, um, there, there were times that I would wake up in the morning and kind of be like, you know, what am I doing here? Um, kind of doubting myself a little bit, but I'd always get that reassurance from my parents. I mean, I, I talked to my mom all the time and, uh, got a lot of group chats back home and, and everything. And they, you know, people tell me all the time, you know, you're doing great things, you know, and so on and so forth. But the more and more that I read those messages, yes, it was a confidence boost, but, um, I still felt depressed and, and, and things like that. So I ended up, you know, 
kind of sitting back one day and saying, all right, you need to jot down a list here um, and say, what are the pros and cons of how you feel? And what I mean by that is, how do you feel in certain stages of your day um, in terms of when I wake up, uh, when I'm in the office, how do I feel after a training session, um, after a game and, and so on and so forth, or, or right before I'm going to, to bed. Um, and that helped me a lot. Um, I was very honest with myself, very open about how I felt over certain stages. And I started realizing that I always felt better when I was in the presence of people. Um, so whether that be in the office or, you know, at training or at games and all that stuff. So I told myself moving forward is anytime you get a chance to be around people, you do it. Not just when you're, you're obligated to be there like training or, or games or anything like that, because the last thing you want to do is kind of dig a hole for yourself. Um, to where you're like, nah, I don't really feel like, you know, going to hang out with this person or meeting out with coffee or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and that's really helped me uh, moving forward mentally. Um, I, it's been uh, pretty stressful. And I understand, you know, as coaches, you know, we can all feel like at some point that we're alone, but, but at the end of the day, we're really not. Um, and that's another thing that I've embraced. Um, even as an assistant coach, I take losses harder than anybody. Um, I hate losing. Um, but one of the things that, that my parents have told me and a few of the others, um, with what we do off the field here, um, and, and just as coaches in general, um, yeah, you lose a game, but you, you have to sit back and realize how many lives you're touching and how many lives you're changing. And that should, that should really change your mindset a little bit. Um, and I, so I started writing down stuff about certain kids, um, you know, that, that I had over the last few years and, and what has happened to them and, you know, where they're at and, and what kind of, um, you know, impact I had in their life. And not a single person was, was negative uh, that I wrote down, at least to my knowledge. And I don't know if these kids are off somewhere saying, man, you know, that coach Baker was such a a-hole. I, I hated him. I, I hope he never coached again. And that's fine if they do that. But I never wrote down anything negative about any kids. And that's when I started realizing mentally, um, I can get out of funks by, by thinking, you know, about some of the kids that, that, that I've changed lives for and understand that, um, you know, it's bigger than me and, and, and I always need to be around the presence of people. I mean, to be honest with you, Jason, I, I can go on and on about this and, and I feel like I'm rambling now, but, um, you know, that, that's just really me in terms of the mental health, um, side of things. I mean, things like that has helped or, um, uh, has really, um, hit me, hit me a few times, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I've had a few players that have thought about harming themselves, and that's been tough. I mean, getting a call at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, it's hit part of my family as well, which is one of the biggest reasons um, why I left LMU in the first place and, and all that kind of stuff. So I've definitely dealt with it head-on, um, face-to-face. But the biggest thing, again, that I can tell people is just to be positive and think about your job as, as the rewarding part of it. I can't thank you enough for uh... – being a, just a, a strong mental health advocate, Colin. I mean, I think, um, you know, it, it's scary to be vulnerable and it's scary as hell to, uh, you know, sometimes when you know that you're going through something and you have to take a step back. And, um, I really like what you said there about journaling and sort of writing down, you know, kind of observations or when certain situations you might feel a certain way. Um, I know I've, uh, I've done some journaling myself and, 
there's definitely a, uh, you know, if you, if you want to want, you want to use the word therapeutic, excuse me, therapeutic quality mm. uh, to it, um, you know, uh, it's definitely there. But there's sort of this uh, self-reflective piece. And I guess what advice would you offer to a coach who might be listening to this or a player who might be listening to this or, you know, someone in the game of soccer going, man, you know, I'm kind of in that funk that he's talking about. You know, what would you say to them? I'd say to reach out to the nearest person you can um, and just talk to them. Um, if you feel like you're in a funk, you're always going to be in that funk. If you don't relieve um, the weight that's on your shoulders, that's putting you in that, in that funk or, you know, putting you in that hole that you think you're in. Um, that's the biggest thing is to never hold it in. Um, you know, it's okay. Like you, like you said, I mean, it's difficult to be vulnerable, but um, it's okay to be. And, you know, your episode on mental health really helped me a lot. Um, and I, I've listened to it quite a few times and, and I've written down things that you've said. And, and um, even when, uh, you know, the other piece of advice as well that I tell people is, is life is too short to um, not think that you can't go back and kind of write a mistake of how you've um, acted towards somebody or treated somebody. Um, so, a lot of the times, like in the mental health and everything like that, you know, people lash out at others when they're not feeling right and all that kind of stuff. And, and again, that's, that's part of, um, you know, reaching out to somebody being vulnerable. It's, you know, um, apologizing and kind of telling people, Hey, I'm sorry. I acted that way. I'm sorry. I lashed out, um, and all that. But, and then the biggest thing to end with is always telling people you love them because at the same, at the same time, I don't think we realize how much we're loved as well. Um, you know, within people, uh, within our lives. So, I mean, that, that's the biggest piece of advice I can give people right now. Um, and, and the other thing I can tell you, um, you know, sharing my Twitter and all that kind of stuff, you know, obviously at the end, uh, my DMs are always open um, and all that kind of stuff. So if anybody ever wants to ever talk to me, um, you know, I can definitely help you with that. Yeah, yeah, that that's fantastic. And I think the, uh, you know, we have a, a motto at my house where, um, even if we've had a knockdown, drag out, uh, <laughs> verbal battle uh, between us, we always try to go to a bed, you know, that night and say, I love you to, uh, you know, everybody in our house. And um, man, I, 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 that really resonates with me um, just because, yeah, life's, life's too damn short for uh, the harbor and to carry stuff with you, you know, for mm -hmm. that long of, uh, of time. So, mm -hmm. um yeah, so uh, I guess a, a couple of different ways I'd, I would like to go here. Um, so describe to me what it's like uh, working with parents of players and how have you gotten them to sort of buy into, you know, the, the culture of your program or uh, what you're trying to do as a coach? Uh, I interacted with parents is, is – um kind of a different ball game um, at the college level. Um, you don't really deal with them as much during the season or actually as soon as their kids on campus until they leave campus. Um, but, you know, I've also emailed with parents and, and, you know, I've called them and all that to kind of get insight on, on their kid a little bit if something's going wrong. But I, I think it's important to have open, um, open dialogue with parents nowadays, um, especially with the generation that we're in. I mean, kids are so – you know, uh, caught up in their cell phones and video games and all that kind of stuff. So you really don't know what's going on in their lives. Maybe their parents know a little bit more. Um, but for me, it's been, um, when I first started, to be honest, I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm coaching in college. I don't have to deal with any parents. This is awesome. Um, but then I started 
when I had parents come up to me that I didn't know were parents of my players at games and say, Hey, good job coach. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, thanks for coming out. That to me is just, that just shows a little uh, crappy on my side in terms of relationship building. And that's something I pride myself on is relationship building. So as time went on, especially over the last three to four years, I've pretty much told myself, you know, um, you need to know every parent on a first name basis, um, shake their hands, you know, um, you know, talk to them a few minutes, you know, see how things are going and, and all that after games and, and going from there. And, and I, I've always told them as well at the beginning of the year, um, you know, my email is almost, uh, is always open, pardon me. And, um, you know, you can text me, call me, whatever you need. Um, you know, if their kid's not getting back to them or, you know, they want to surprise their kid for a game, so on and so forth. So, um, my interaction with parents has definitely taken a full, um, full circle of me saying, all right, this isn't cool what you're doing to, I absolutely love it because I love building relationships with people and, and really getting to know things about your players from their parents' point of view, because a lot of kids won't tell you certain things. I mean, I got a few embarrassing stories about some of my best players that I haven't used yet, but you know, that's definitely in my arsenal. So that's something that uh, for me has, has really helped me, I think as a, as a person first and foremost, and then as a coach, um, that's seen as their big brother slash father uh, for their child. Yeah. yeah well, I was going to say the uh, the relationship with parents, I think, can also buy you some equity, uh, you know, with where you can go with a player in terms of, um, you know, like you said, it, it's nice to have those things in your back pocket for when you need them, mm-hmm. but you may or may not need them. And, uh, you know, every player is different in terms of how they respond to sort of that, uh, you know, embarrassing story or, Hey, did I ever tell you that I knew about when, you know, you're 10 years old and that, that, that happened or, or whatever. And they look at you, you know, sort of sideways and go, you know, coach, how, how the hell do you know that? <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's great. Um, so uh, you... a, a question that I like to end every podcast with is, uh, what are we doing right? And what are we doing wrong in this country when it comes to soccer? And I'm curious, uh, from your observations and your experience, uh, what you think? Um, what we're doing right, I think, is uh, for right now, I think we're just growing the game. Um, obviously, it's becoming a, a bigger phenomenon in our state and or in our states, I should say, and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think what we're doing right is we're obviously growing the game. Do I think we're doing that correctly? Probably not. Um, you know, personally, um, I, I do think uh, the pay-to-play system at times is a little – uh, much or rigged um, and all that. And I hope there's not any um, U.S. soccer agents that are listening to this and kind of want to send me some kind of hate message or something. But I do think that that pay to play is is at times very rigged and, and, and it could definitely keep a kid um, from playing the sport that they love with their friends because they can't afford it. Um, I think that's one of the things we're doing wrong. But Overall, the, the biggest thing, if you want to combine both of those, is if we want to grow as a soccer country, I think soccer starts at home. Um, and that's some of the things that I've listened on some of your episodes as well. And I think um, quite a few of us have the same viewpoint because of how we grew up. Um, soccer starts at home. I mean, for me, like my parents gave me a ball. Like I said, they, they said I've been playing since I could walk. I was outside kicking the ball against our house. You know, we had you know, uh, rock walls that, that built our house and all that, broke a few windows, all that, uh, played in the streets, 
played pickup at a, at a local, you know, soccer complex, all that stuff. Um, it all starts at home. And I think that's part of a generational problem is that people would rather buy their kid, you know, a new iPad than buy him a pair of Sambas and tell him to go play, you know, futsal at a basketball court or something. Um, I think that's the biggest problem here. And, and I think the biggest thing that we need to do is, is realize that that soccer does start at home, um, whether it be watching it, um, talking about it, getting them books on it, you know, just having them play. I mean, that's the one thing that, that I remember as a kid. I'd be up playing at a neighbor's house in the backyard, and, and we'd be playing until dark. I wouldn't get home until after the, you know, the streetlights came on, got scalded for it. But at the end of the day, I didn't care because I was playing the game that I loved. So I think that's the biggest issue that we need to address is, is realizing that, that soccer um, as a country needs to start at home. And from there, we can have, um, you know, obviously the, the, the foundation and the building blocks for when coaches do get a hold of these kids, they can develop them um, and move them forward as people and, and as soccer players. And, and hopefully, um, you know, that resonates towards our, um, you know, our national teams and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, again, this is another topic I could literally go for two or three days just talking nonstop. <laughs> no, it's uh... – man uh i I was gonna say i i said this about other guests on the show but uh brothers from other mothers man i mean i I feel like uh yeah i mean you're you're speaking my language and i think the uh the language of a a lot of the folks who listen to the show so uh, i think that's a uh, a really good place to to end it and um if folks want to connect with you colin uh what is the the best way to do that uh on social media or where are you most active uh, my Twitter uh, would be the best. Uh, my Twitter handle is CB Soccer Guy. Um, and again, DMs are always open. You want to chat soccer or chat about how Manchester United is going to come back and, and win the league this year or, you know, any mental health or anything like that. Um, my, my DMs are always open. And, and uh, the, with the convention coming up less than, than two weeks away, people want to hit me up for that as well sit down, have a coffee with you or in between sessions. That's the best way. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the latest episode of the, on the touchline podcast. And, um, yeah, uh, all the best to you, man. I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on. It was a really, really great chat. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a privilege. Episode 11 is almost in the books, and my thanks to Colin Baker, assistant men's coach at Carroll College, for coming on the latest episode of On the Touchline. Colin, I wish you all the best, and uh, look forward to having you back on the podcast sometime in the future. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so in one of two ways. One, by going to anchor.fm slash on the touchline. And by making a small monthly contribution to the show, you can financially support what we are trying to do with the On the Touchline podcast. Details will be coming soon as to what that small monthly contribution will get you as a listener to this show. You can also support this show on social media by sharing with coaching colleagues, fellow players, influencers in the game of soccer. The growth of the show has been absolutely tremendous, one month in, and would like to keep that going. 
If you listen on Apple Podcast, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and a review and help push us up the podcast rankings when it comes to soccer podcast. DMs are always open for me on Twitter or Instagram at SoccerCoachJB, and you can reach out anytime with ideas for the show, questions, or if you'd like to come on the show or talk more. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater, and this has been On the Touchline.